No one can arrive from being talented alone. God gives talent. Work transforms talent into genius. So that's a quote from Russian ballet dancer Anna Pavlova from the 1956 book Pavlova, a biography, edited by A.H. Franks in collaboration with the members of the Pavlova Commemoration Committee. So, my name is John Fanning, and this is the Create with John Fanning podcast. Welcome, and how's it going? I hope you're all doing well out there, as we again uh, get closer to the end of winter, or summer here, and start heading into, into fall, as they call it here in the States, or autumn. So, this is episode 19 of my series of episodes on creativity, or more, on what I would call the imagination, uh, based around my book, Create. So, last time I spoke about enthusiasm, passion, and madness, about looking for mentors, peers who are enthusiastic and inspired or passionate, basically mad, uh, good mad, or black sheep, and how they can help dissolve the walls of... um, lexical prisons or other walls by being enthusiastic and and passionate and mad about what it is that they create and you know this means embracing the imagination and moving towards that uh, not away from it you know as i always say in each episode but um you're not going to find too many mentors out there uh <laughs> there's uh they're uh, not very uh, frequently come upon but when you get one it's a blessing because they can inspire and enthuse you to, to be um, p- passionate and positive about what it is that you want to create and they're there when you're dejected and down um, whether it's from rejection or whatever other wall is stopping you from creating so today I want to get into this more, this idea of mentors and how talent borrows but genius basically steals and how mentors don't have to be alive to inspire us. Indeed, their works or their creations are always there for us. Uh, If we only, you know, just take the time to take them up to read them or listen to them and enjoy them and get inspired from them. They're on the walls of churches, they're in the books that we read so and they can they influence us you know it's kind of derogatory term that they have now in social media where they talk about somebody being an influencer which is kind of uh, contrary or uh, contradictory to the idea of a mentor Um. so if we think of it more about influences and who or what are our influences not uh, influencers themselves so well, f- from a personal perspective when I'm down and when I can't create I usually read and so who who do I read 
well, people I love, uh, what I would call the masters in my field or the mentors in my field. And why do I do that? Um, well, it's because these are other writers uh, that inspire me and they affect me deeply when I read a great story. It makes me want to write a great story. And when I'm affected deeply, uh, the need arises. Uh, this need arises in me to create. So to make me want to create art again. So I feel it's one of the most powerful tools we have. If we want to create something, get inspired by other people that have been inspired. Probably by other people that inspired them. So uh, Malcolm Gladwell uh, has a famous book, uh, Outliers where he writes about how it takes the 10,000 hour rule uh, to begin to to master your craft or your creation. So basically that being the amount of time it takes uh, most of us to get good at something, uh, to get good at creating something. So everyone see, seems to see Gladwell's ideas innovative and new. And yes, it's, it's a great... Um, basis to start looking at it to encourage you to try and get those 10,000 hours it's a kind of goal as such but in truth it's been an idea that's been around for thousands of years um if you look today um uh before you became become uh, a master electrician you have to become a journeyman first and it's what they call a journeyman and the word journeyman has taken on negative affiliations nowadays, uh, mainly because people are unaware of what a journeyman really is or was. And this idea of becoming a journeyman, uh, it really comes from the fact that you have to become an apprentice first. And this language comes from the time of the guilds, especially the Florentine guilds of the 12th century and later. And before that, there was also, you know, um, the same kind of thing in in Greek times and, you know, all the way back into Irish times. When you wanted to become a bard, you learned from other bards who were usually druids and, you know. So anyway, getting back to the guilds as an example in the 12th century and later, they um, uh, were very powerful uh, way of becoming an apprentice and then becoming a journeyman and then eventually getting towards being a master. And this hasn't stayed on in the arts as it has in some building trades. So artists were actually part of other guilds, but the point is the this idea of apprenticeship. So like if you look at somewhere like Venice, um and this in the in the 12th century in the middle ages after two years you could move on to become a journeyman for after you'd been an apprentice but somewhere like say padua you had to do it for three years so your master uh, which is basically an old school word for what we call a mentor today or what we begrudgingly call a mentor because everybody seems to think you can't learn from anybody else now um you're supposed to just you know come out fully formed on your instagram uh knowing how to uh, sing or paint or whatever it is that you're into. So this master took you in when you were young as an apprenticeship into what they still call a shop in, in the trades even today. Uh, 
So this idea of the shop or the workshop and, you know, somebody like Michelangelo would have entered into a shop or a workshop and uh, he would have entered into Guirlandeo's one uh, when he was 13. And like all the other apprenticeship apprentices, he was uh, what was called uh, a garzoni or a workshop boy. That is uh, an apprenticeship or apprentice, yeah, into an apprenticeship. And as an apprentice, uh, he always, from what you can probably guess, he started off at the bottom and he'd be probably grinding pigments up or preparing panels for the master or for the journeymen that were around him. So, and he'd grow his skills with the years. And with those years, then he would then start to draw and create works, but but not from life, but by by copying, by learning from the masters, from the master that he had there in the workshop, but also from other masters. So Michelangelo would go out and copy the paintings of, of Giotto in uh, Santa Croce Church in Florence, and he would he would have been told to go elsewhere too to copy when... Um, Guirlando would be going off, Guirlandeo would go off to do commissions. Um, or, you know, especially to places like Rome, where that's where all the masters were and had left their marks on, on, the, on the churches and on the, on the s- so many uh, walls of these uh, so-called celestial places. So these commissions would bring somebody like Michelangelo into the... Uh, other places where he could copy from the masters on his apprenticeship. And even today, like here in the the United States, an electrician or a carpenter or or even a plumber or a machinist, um, they usually need uh, a local license or a state license uh, to be a journeyman or a master. So the license means they put in their time. What what Gladwell would probably call the 10,000 hours, but the guilds would have called it the apprenticeship and to become a master of your trade. So to become a journeyman of, say, a creative pursuit, just like with an electrician or or those schools of centuries ago, like the Italian shops or bodegas, we, we have to first apprentice ourselves to what we are passionate about. And... If we put in the time until we become a journeyman and hopefully one day a master, then we will arrive at creating pieces of works of art that that we're proud of. And then hopefully other people will enjoy and become inspired by too. So becoming a an apprentice, apprentice and then going on to become a journeyman it's it's a really cool way of looking at our uh creativity and 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 entering into a form of of creativity so the even the word itself like journey it actually comes from the french word for day uh, journée so to a journeyman it meant you could charge money for a day's work uh, but an apprentice However, he, he 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 usually doesn't get paid a day's wage at all. He instead he'd get like so. Michelangelo would have got lodging and food, and maybe 
a small stipend um, for about seven years or so from from his master uh, because a journeyman wasn't allowed to employ others. So there was all these rules to it. You know, you could empl- a master could employ a journeyman, but and then an apprentice, obviously, just like a journeyman, couldn't employ other people. So it was very much controlled so that there were um, ways of learning and and mastering what it is that you were getting into. So the title journeyman refers to the right to charge a fee for each day's work. And it's a really cool way of of playing with a word. So journée is your day's work, but it's also you're going on a journey because um, a journeyman moved they they had to go from place to place they were no longer apprentices in a bodega or a workshop and you'll see these ambulant artisans um in france because uh, since the middle ages uh, what they're they're called um compagnons and they've been traveling all around france as the compagnon du devoir et du tour de france so their their technical education means they they have to take a tour of France, like that, like they do with the bicycles. But this is a tour of France in a métier. Uh, they're apprenticing to masters to learn a trade, but also being a part of a community of artisans, which gets back to this idea of peers and mentors that I was talking about earlier. So talent is, it's nothing if you don't put in the time. So the ten, which is goes back to the quote of Pavlova, um, you know, you can God will give you the talent, but you better do the work to get those ten thousand hours under your belt, as Gladwell put it, which is basically seven or eight years or ten years uh, an apprentice has to put in. But even after we put in the time of the apprenticeship, we we have to become the journeyman, and the journeyman goes all around wherever it is that he's this the country or continent he's living in to experience other masters and to work under other masters and to master his art even more. So we have to find masters to work for uh, on a day-to-day basis so we can master our art uh, all the time learning our craft also from the dead masters, you know, whose works and creations are on the walls of churches and buildings wherever we go, wherever we look. You know, a master carpenter can go into any great church and look up to see the wooden structures or a mason can do the same thing and an artist can do it by looking at the paintings and the colors and the stencils on the walls so uh this is this again is this is not something only for artists and sculptors and masons and artisans as such uh you know it's in music as well like the beatles if we think about them they found a mentor uh, or a master very early on in their career when you're supposed to, when you're young. And people always talk about it as being their business manager, this guy Brian Epstein, Epstein uh, that he catapulted them into success because he was such a great businessman and he could manage them well, you know. But this is ignoring probably their greatest mentor, well, in my opinion, and what the Beatles used to call the fifth Beatle, uh, and that's George Martin. And yeah, early on, um, the Beatles put in the hours. They apprenticed themselves to George Martin, but also 
by learning from others or learning just by doing. And they became almost apprentice journeymen when they went off to Hamburg and they spent all that time slogging it out on the stage night after night, like uh, hard, hard work. And so, you know, these four young Englishmen in a band who played every night in Hamburg came back not as as a band, but as the Beatles. So their apprenticeship was very much uh, put in over in Hamburg, you know, be a really intense apprenticeship, you know, and it's hard work and it takes a long time. Like Shakespeare, with his plays being tested in the provinces before being put on for the king, the Beatles were tested and changed in front of an audience night in and night out until songs like to use those words of hard and night and days you know hard days night it came out of the actual act of creating to an audience they were learning on the job and much later uh in his towards the end of his life uh, in an interview on desert island discs uh, George Martin said he didn't really think much of them musically when he first met them. And so when he met um, John and Ringo and Paul and George, you know, he didn't think too much of them, and which is kind of shocking, but uh, that's the way it is. You know, we start off and we basically don't know that much. We We... You can have talent, but you have to work hard. So, but he, he still signed them to Parlophone because he thought he thought they were very funny, and that he'd just give them a chance because he could. And from there on out, they had one of their great mentors. So uh, he gave them a chance. He took them on. He apprenticed them, and he taught them as much, taught them so much, and added so much classical music to their songs to create completely new kinds of songs. I'm not saying he was the one that created all the songs. It's a it's a combination of, you know, the five of them. And so the point being a mentor can literally pull you out of obscurity. A master can pull you out of obscurity and evolve your talent with work and journeying. And you can also see this in writing, you know, Sherwood Anderson and Ernest Hemingway had the same thing in Paris. And instead of getting up on a stage to learn, um, they had the salon of someone like Gertrude Stein. And Hemingway always talked about being in his room to do his work, you know, and he put in the time and worked hard. But he never mentions the community he had to get better by discussing his work. And so he wasn't functioning in a in a vacuum. And like people do in these MFA programs they have over in the States, they have some now over in England and Ireland, or in improv sessions or in, you know, back to that word again, workshops or bodegas. Uh, it's basically a continuation of what was going on in the Middle Ages. And so when we get this kind of honest, constructive feedback, uh, we get better at whatever it is we're trying to create. So, you know, until recently, people used to apprentice themselves to a guild uh, to be mentored by a skilled artist or artisan. And it reminds me of a, a master carpenter I know in France who can, he can basically can draw a straight line 
to the centimeter by eye. So you'll get the pencil and you'll draw it right on a piece of wood. Um, you know, and it could be a meter long, but it's it's dead accurate. And, you know, he learned this uh, by being mentored for 15 years until, until he be, begun. Um, you know, this is his way of saying it was to get what he called the sensation, as the sensation of the work, the feel of the work. And again, going back to that thing I mentioned before, it's a, a flow for what it is that he's doing, a flow state. He just is in the work. And so he got mentored by craftsmen skilled in the art of carpentry. And as he put it, he 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 takes so many years. Uh, it just it took him so many years to to get good at something. And even then, he says, you know, most people don't find success or the sensation, sensation he was talking about. One of his friends who he saw as one of the great master carpenters he'd ever met, um, you know, he led a very unlucky life. He Just because he created amazing furniture didn't mean that people would buy it or that he was able to sell it or that he could support his family. He couldn't. Uh, so he failed as far as society is concerned in this monetary ridiculousness that I've discussed before in previous episodes but even though he was uh, the most car talented carpenter he'd ever met because the system wasn't there to support his talent he was he was uh, fallen into a trap of uh, being a master of just very specific thing and didn't want to accommodate to doing other stuff and it's a sad story but the idea I'm trying to get across is that um, sometimes people are just not good at something and it takes years for them to realize this but if you haven't done it for a few years under a master who's saying you know maybe you should do something else maybe you'd be better at this instead of the uh, instead of carpentry maybe it's masonry maybe it's um, painting as opposed to poetry um, so but the main point here is that he if you see, if you were to see any of his his ateliers or his studios, you'd think he was mad because um, he throws nothing away and it, it drives his wife crazy because, you know, there's this second little house beside the one that they live in and it's literally stuffed with stencils and tools going back into, you know, some of them are from the bloody Middle Ages and he actually still uses them. And the first time I went into one of his ateliers, I had to sit down. I was so blown away by the sheer immensity of the stuff in there. It's just everywhere, hanging out of the ceiling and in little glass cabinets. And it was like a museum within a museum. And it just went on and on. And he he handled each tool as if as if it was like a like a child. And he the way he explained it uh, and the way he used it, the way he gently caressed it and uh, pointed out how it was made. You know, uh, the thing he said was like, none of these are made by machines, John. These are made by human beings. Um, or better again, what he called master artists. So you can't hide imperfections in this kind of a tool. You know, this is what he used to say. You know, it's, it's a person who had the sensation when they were creating. They had to be more exactly or they were 
they were made exactly and perfectly or artfully because of sensation that art that he found or that creator found in what they'd apprenticed to so today we've lost this in my opinion anyway we've lost a lot of a lot of this appreciation of craft as art um and you know when i talked about madness and enthusiasm and just getting out what you need to create that's one part of it but then there's also the craft afterwards and having to put in your time to learn this um this it's become it's come demeaned by i suppose speed and just a lack of respect and uh, a carelessness and people literally aren't careful they they don't care enough you know so that's careless um and if you care enough to look at how an old tool was actually made and how it works and that it's a work of art in itself as just a piece of some old piece of garbage that because it's not a modern tool that it's no good um well then you're you're ignoring and losing out on something beautiful that you could learn from in whatever it is you're creating so my neighbor back in france would never see himself as an artist he'd frown upon being called an artist but he did call the people that he learned from as master artists so to him what he created was the most natural thing in the world um this what he created out of um and that was out of this natural creative appreciation that went all the way back to the people he learned from and that goes all the way back into you know the renaissance skills in europe or going further back to the greeks and if you don't get into a guild you know now it's it's very difficult to become the apprentice because there is no set way of learning as such and back then it was the same way if you didn't get into a guild you couldn't get paid for what what you created it was just that simple um you had a what they call a hobby basically not a a metier um as they say in france because even back then the the competition was harsh so so you know to get into those guilds so some people say that today that unions are the same thing today you know and i don't agree people people in unions are not taught to think or sorry you know feel the same way about wood or electricity the way my old friend does and it makes sense because the union is there to protect the rights of the worker not to inspire them to create it's it's uh, a protective economic factor not a creative inspirational one so it becomes more about how quick you can produce something rather than how good you created something so now with obviously with techno technology this has reached its zenith and you know guilds are good and so are unions but they need to be seen for what they really are as opposed to conflated when when one is more uh, a mentoring of creation where the other is a defense of the creator like if i were to enter into the authors guild it would be akin to this but a very much watered down version of the renaissance version or the mentoring my friend received and presumably you know if i wanted to do that kind of apprenticeship i'd you know if i'd known i, I would have to enroll in an mfa or enter through the gates of the whatever culturally accepted avenues for that and 
in January for writers to, to get that it's going into MFAs or something like that. And or what I'd call getting that rubber stamp of approval, which is basically just giving you the time to apprentice. You know, you mightn't actually be taught anything or you go to a good MFA program, you would be. But it's basically getting like four years where you can actually be an apprentice. And, you know, even though I'm not a member of the Writers Guild, I still register all my books with them because that's what they're there for, to protect the writer, to to strike, to get them to strike, to defend the payment of the writer. But it's not the the way it used to be as such. So as opposed to learning how to create in my field from a guild, which it no longer functions the way a guild used to, in a kind of concrete or more effective way, you know, I learned from a very small number of living mentors, but even more so from dead ones. You know, from the creations that they created that are still alive in books and films and what I find, especially autobiographies of people in my field. So that idea kind of leads me into another thing I wanted to talk about today, which is this kind of bandied round um, expression or not motif, but a, an aphorism, perhaps like talent borrows and genius steals. You know, there's many attributions for this quote. Uh, there's even a well-known book, Steal Like an Artist, by a guy called uh, Austin Cleon. But the main idea, the one that uh, you should copy or imitate other creators, is an idea that, you know, it's not recent. It goes all the way back to Aristotle and Plato. You know, they even had a word for copying, and they called it mimesis. Or mimesis. And... You know, I read Cleon's book after writing the shitty first draft of my own book on creativity, but because one of the writers on retreat uh, that came to our retreat in the south of France gave it to me when, and said, you know, you need to write a book like this, John. And so I, you know, listened and read the book um, after finishing my own book. So... What you're listening to was inspired by books like Cleon's, but also Aristotle's poetics and books that focus on creating. Because, you know, there might be something in each one of these things that inspires me to write a chapter or or talk about certain stuff that I'd neglected to talk about. Because, you know, you can't think of everything, so you got to get inspired by other people. So that's what I'm talking about. Um, you get mentored by focusing on the stuff that you're field is and so the main inspiration are the many creators uh, that have gone before but also you know from my retreat as well over the years those people you know that have taught me about creativity and then my own um, path with the true writing so even though Cleon's book wasn't there what wasn't there with me when I first started out I learned about uh, talent borrows and genius steals somewhere I can't remember where but I give him credit and why do I do that because it's important to give credit because if you don't do that you're basically stealing in the wrong way you're plagiarizing and that's it there's a differentiation there you know so when I say you know steal uh, I don't mean it in a negative way I mean it in a positive way of copying but then you know, 
uh, growing or evolving from that. So this quote, this, this uh, you know, talent borrows, genius steals, you know, you could say it was Oscar Wilde or maybe it was T.S. Eliot when he was writing that book of essays on poetry and criticism. It was called uh, Sacred Wood. Um, he said, uh, immature poets imitate, mature poets steal. You know, so that's one part of it, whether he stole it from somebody else, you know, so it goes around this kind of circle. And then you have Stravinsky or Picasso. One of them was supposed to have said, lesser artists borrow and great artists steal. So who's telling the truth here? Who's stealing from who? And it goes around again in another circle. So so to tell the truth, who cares, really? It's the idea that's inspiring because it's about inspiration and influence, as I was talking about before, as inspiration. So people just, they confuse this idea. They think you're plagiarizing another creator when you steal. You know, they see it as negative, but that's not the point. The point is to steal the right way, to take an idea or an image and make it your own, to copy and borrow an image or an idea, to sample music. or It's, it's, it's not really stealing, it's imitating. Uh, it's that mimetic thing. And there's nothing wrong with being a copier. Just like Michelangelo in that church in Italy when he was 13 years old uh, copying. Uh, he was duplicating what was there. But then after that, you know, he duplicated a creation and made it his own. So you don't duplicate uh, just a creation after a period of time. You, you make it your own. So you learn from other creators, just like Michelangelo and every other creator before and after him has done. Um, you know, I just mentioned Picasso in relation to that quote, whether it was him or Stravinsky, you know, but, you know, he's, there's this... Uh, idea of uh, him and copying too, you know, but he thinks like, oh, well, Picasso, he just came out fully formed as this artist. Well, no, he copied too. Uh, you know, Le Déjeuner sur l'herbe, um, Manet's uh, famous painting, uh, Picasso report, uh, reportedly uh, copied it at least 20 times, you know, so this guy learned, you know, he learned from a master. Um, Haydn, uh, taught Beethoven so it's you know it's no shock when you start listening to Beethoven's early work and it sounds like Haydn's so he copied too but then he grew out of that just like Picasso did just like Michelangelo did so, but does that make Picasso a bad artist or Beethoven a bad composer you know where they you know plagiarists and you know if you, even if you look at uh, contemporary art courses they call them learning from the masters so you copy this great work of art to see how the artist did it that's basically just regurgitating the stuff that Picasso did and Michelangelo before him and so many before that so eventually you break away and find your own style but you have to start somewhere so the point is to steal <coughs> excuse me and absorb from other creators but you have to learn from them um uh, and so they'll inspire you. And inspiration comes when we combine old ideas uh, into or with new ones from looking at them in a different way, from a different perspective and just seeing different relationships. And I talked about this before and I'll talk about it again probably now when I get into talking about inspiration and stuff. So, <coughs> excuse me. So this, this is why writers say if you want to learn uh, how to write a book, you have to read a load of books and musicians would say the same thing. You know, if you want to, 
if you want to be a musician, you got to listen to a lot of music. And, you know, this translates into everything. Like business people say, start your own business after interning and studying others. Um, you know, if you want to do architecture, you got to, if you want to be like Frank Gehry, you got to be an apprentice to him. So you, uh, the modern word for an apprentice would be an intern. And, you know, interns are really important. Uh, otherwise, they can't become journeymen and then become masters. So, so business people do it every day and they, you know, they call it studying the competition and then they do what they do and then they do it better. Um, however, you know, they only study the competition they're really interested in. And in business, they call that uh, niche markets. So it's the same with creation. So you have to ask yourself the question, you know, what's my niche? What's, What's your niche? A historical novel set in 4th century Rome? <laughs> um, and if it is, then you read the competition. And soon you'll know your whole niche world. And then you'll grow from, from that, out of that, evolve. And make something different. And you then feel a part of that world. But apart from that world too. So you put an amphitheater on your office wall or I know it the drawings of a centurion's uniform or the list of emperors or or maybe go off and read uh, the wonderful Marcus Aurelius every day. <laughs> and, you know, that world then becomes as real as the one we're living in today. And the fun is in the hunt for that world, to apprentice yourself to that world and then to journey through it and then master it. You know, so... You know, when I was a kid, I kind of did this intuitively by copying out poems from books when I thought I wanted to be a poet. And, you know, try it. If you want to write a business plan, you copy the business plans of others. And again, you don't build a house without a plan. You can, but you're probably going to end up with a few walls or windows in the wrong place. Or having a wall fall down. So you have to know the craft of how to build and create. And... You know, look at all the painters in museums copying the masters, all those young painters. And there, there's a reason they're there. And you have to find out how the masters did it. And the best way to do that, well, copy. And soon enough the copying will disappear and you will appear, your creation will appear. And when you, when you were sitting in a classroom, they made you copy the letters off the blackboard. It's the same thing. You're copying the lines of the master in front of you. And as I said before, Shakespeare only wrote his first play after acting and directing and managing a theatre, owning a theatre for over 10 years. So he learned by apprenticeship and becoming a journeyman, literally journeying all around England. So he learned by doing, like every musician and, and school kids, kids since, you know. Emerson actually said once that um, about him, he said that, that Shakespeare's, Shakespeare's genius borrows nobly. And about Shakespeare, he said, he breathed upon dead bodies and brought them into life. So he made the original plays like into better plays. He breathed more life upon them. So he copied, but he, he made them better. So that's that. He apprenticed, became a journeyman, and then he mastered the art of playwriting and created masterpieces because 
he went down the road of uh, the men mentorship and being an apprentice and being a journeyman. So, you know, who you copy is your decision. It's easy, you know, who do you love? It's kind of like what I was talking about before in a recent uh, episode, like do what you love, dancer in the dance, you know, who do you love? Who inspires you? Who do you get a kick out of? And now what thing have they created? What book or business or painting that you loved? And study it, copy it, and repeat it just like, Picasso did that 20 times he did, you know, he came across that paint and he loved it, obviously, and went, okay, I'm going to find out who he did this. And then he picked up things from that painting and he repeated it and repeated for other creators you love in the field you love. You know, um, ancient Greeks and the muses, I would call this being possessed. So by the new possession you've stolen, you know, you have a new shiny possession. Could be that painting, like I was saying, Le Déjeuner uh, sur l'herbe. Or it could be something else. So you create new work, new creations out of becoming possessed by something and then you become possessed to do something yourself, new. And so you take inspiration from the masters, but you can take it from everywhere as well. And uh, There's bits and pieces, things you see in magazines, books, or online, stuff in the street, you know. Put it all together to create your own work. Or, or be kind of sneaky about it, you know. Uh, you could be like Truffaut with Hitchcock. You know, interview your idols if you can. You know, do you think Truffaut didn't learn a few tricks from Hitchcock when he was interviewing about him, about all of his movies? <laughs> you know, Cameron Crowe, the American film um, filmmaker, did the same thing. He saw what, what Truffaut was up to and went... Oh, God, I'm going to do this. So what do you do? He went off and he interviewed Billy Wilder, one of the great American directors, um, like a visionary in the sense that he actually wrote his own movies. A lot of directors out in Hollywood say they, do, they write their own movies, but Wilder actually did with, like, um, I.L. Diamond and another screenwriter. Um, but so learn from them. Uh, interview your idols if you can or other creators in your field. So learn from them. So, and that's curiosity. So you have to be curious. And again, as curious as a child, you know, like I was talking about young playing with other children, you know, or playing with children as opposed to talking to adults because he felt he could learn more from them because they were playing, they were being creative. And of course, like I was saying with the, the idea of the cave, um, coming out of Plato's cave into the light of new creation, it's at first it's going to be confusing, but with time it'll make more and more sense. So you know, don't trust what I'm saying. Don't trust me. Uh, trust the masters who went before us, um, or even contemporary ones, people who inspire you. You know, it's the same thing as like when we were in uh, doing our retreat in the south of France. We didn't become retreat directors in a foreign country after doing a three-year course and hospitality business we had no skills we had no idea what it all meant you know i me and both myself and my wife uh, carrie we, we just did it we renovated we marketed we hosted we created it all by doing like getting up on the stage like shakespeare you know we got out of our comfort zone so your skills have to get better to get to a new level of competence you know being competent 
asked what you do or what you want to do. And you have to ask yourself the question, are you, are you really stretching yourself, you know? You know, there's a, you know, there's a lovely, uh, well, I wouldn't say it's lovely, but it's a, it's a proverb, an old Roman proverb, but I, I always got a kick out. And it goes something like this. If a man were able to see his whole life, he'd never want to live it. Uh, so if I'd known how difficult it was going to be to create a retreat, I would never have started it in the first place. You know, I would probably have decided to keep working at Vanity Fair in New York, you know, and not ventured off into the mountains of the south of France. But, you know, you have to always be challenging your skill set and learning. And if you don't know how to do something, then learn. And who can you learn better from other than the masters? So copy, read, and steal from the masters. And that's where genius lies. Uh, genius is not a person. Uh, genius is copying, reading, and stealing, um, and then creating something new for the world in whatever field it is that you are in love with. So get their skills to the best of your ability and be curious. So that's what I wanted to say about mentors and journeying and journeymen and, you know, for all you journeymen and women out there, that's something we need to understand about creativity. It is a process and this craft is a process and we have to learn it and it takes time. It takes time and it takes hard work and I'll talk more about work in the next episode, but um, we have to challenge our skill sets and we have to learn and learn from the masters. So or what they call nowadays mentors. So thanks for listening. Um, I started with a quote from a Russian ballerina, but like last time, I'm going to uh, end this episode with an Irish proverb. And this one literally means, <laughs> it's a kind of funny one, don't show your teeth until, until you're ready to bite. So, you know, that idea of, you know, if you want to create something, you, you gotta, you gotta get your teeth first. You know, you start off as a baby with none, and then you become uh, a master when you you've grown your teeth. You know, so don't show your teeth until you can get a can until you can bite. So, na nucht do vehicle go vader on grim do vrei. So it goes na nucht do vehicle do vader on grim do vrei. Uh, started sounding a little bit French there towards the end, but anyway, <laughs> you get the idea. Uh, this podcast is supported by you, the listener, uh, via my Patreon page. So if you want to support it, um, go over to patreon.com forward slash John Fanning. That's J-O-H-N-F-A-N-N-I-N-G. And you get the episode early, and I'll start putting up new episodes up there that uh, only patrons can get at you know to create some kind of exclusivity so if you can afford it that'd be awesome for the, the usual cup of tea or pint once a month you know it all adds up and if you can't afford it that's grand too but if you are listening um please subscribe on itunes or wherever it is you listen to it and leave a review so that other people get to get to hear it you know because i'm doing this to be of service to people who are apprentices who are starting out so that they can learn from my mistakes and hopefully learn something from 
some of the things that I've gleaned. So share it with other people. Um, so thanks for listening. Um, if you want to get in contact with me through the old social media stuff, um, I'm on Instagram uh, and Twitter. And you can get me on my website at johnfanning.me. And that's it. It's been great sharing with you. And until the next time, try to be benevolent out there when you can, you know. And Schlan live August Gunnarian Bauer live.